0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming on a really cold Sunday morning. Um, Yeah, so if you haven't been coming to Apologetics, the last couple weeks we've been talking about um, authority of Scripture, how can we trust Scripture, um, how do we know that the Bible we have is the authentic, original Bible. Um, And last week, Jonathan covered the New Testament, the week before we had covered the Old Testament. And we write a variety of arguments um, of, you know, where do we get our manuscripts? We have a ton of manuscripts. Those manuscripts have some discrepancies between them, but they're really pretty small. And the volume of the, those manuscripts give us a pretty good account of, of what the scriptures originally were in their original context. Um, how the, you know, we, we got the canon and the, the way I summarized it in my head was... And it wasn't these people in a cold, dark room who just said, we're going to create the canon and this is the canon of scripture. The canon of scripture wasn't created, it was just affirmed. Um, the church had already been using it as scripture and then the, the councils would come in and say, this is, this is we're, we're going to set it. This is what it is. And usually that was in response to other people trying to bring in other, other books. So that's kind of where we've been at. If you want more details, you can go back and watch the recordings. Um, really good. I didn't take perfect notes, so I don't remember everything that we covered. So now, as we are going to transition now looking at not just what the scriptures are, but what the scriptures say. And one of the things that we're going to talk look at today is the topic of sexuality and in particular homosexuality. What do we believe? Why do we believe what it is? And then how do we defend it? And in particular, not just defend on like why it should be that way, but why it is that way. And how can we protect and defend those in the faith who, who want to stand firm in that are struggling with it? Um, and then also, how do, we, how do we evangelize people that are struggling with same-sex attraction and feel like there's, there's no place for them in the church or want nothing to do with the church because of that? So that's what we're going to jump into today. Before we do that, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you that you are king of this world, that you are our creator, um, and that what you design and call us to is good. And so, Lord, as we we come to this topic of homosexuality, um, we want to submit to you. We want to submit to what your word says. And we believe that uh, it leads to flourishing. It leads to life, uh, both now and in the life to come. So please help us to to understand what your word says, uh, to believe it, and then be able to uh, winsomely, boldly, courageously, and gently apply it to our own lives and the lives um, of those around us. So we ask for your mercy, Lord, and trust that you will work. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, as you might imagine, when, I, when you say the topic of homosexuality, are probably a ton of things that jumped into your head. Very broad topic. We could go into so many details, and, and we could talk about a lot of things. Um, but my focus this morning is um, going to be looking at more of the objections to the, the biblical view. I'm gonna give you a definition of homosexuality. I'm gonna to try to go quickly through where we get that from in scripture. I think most of you are gonna be familiar with it, so this isn't gonna be surprising territory. And then I wanna spend the bulk of our time really dealing with the objections to the, the biblical view. Because as I, as I was studying, what I found was the doctrine is really simple. Um, the Bible doesn't have a ton of texts that like, explicitly address homosexuality, but there are some, they're pretty clear. Uh, and then what the Bible says about sexuality as a whole also is pretty clear. The doctrine is not the hard part. The hard part is the discipleship. The hard part is how do we communicate this to others, and especially with our brothers and sisters who struggle with same-sex attraction, how do we help them stand firm in that and continue to walk trusting in the Lord? That's the hard part. And the, the objections and the questions, those are the emotional details, and those are the difficult ones to, to, to handle. That's where I want to spend the bulk of our time. Um, but if you've got any questions, feel free to jump in. Um, but I'm going to try to go through the, the, what the Bible says about it fairly quickly. But first a definition, and I hope you'll see this as we go through scripture. So what I, when I say homosexuality, what I mean is any desire, inclination, and activity that is homosexual, meaning that it's between two people of the same sex. So it's inclination, desire, and activity. So what does the Bible say about homosexuality? I think to, the first thing is actually not what the Bible says about homosexuality, but what it says about sexuality. Um, it's it from the very beginning. So you open Genesis, you go to Genesis 1, we see that man and, and woman were created. Um, in Genesis 1, 26 to, to 225, what we see is that men and women are gendered, complementary beings, and that marriage is instituted as being between one man and one woman, and then therefore that sexual activity is the consummation of that relationship and the exclusive privilege of that relationship. And we also see in Genesis that uh, marriage was instituted for companionship. It was not good that man should be alone. That's why God created the woman. Um, Woman was as a co-laborer. They're they're laboring together. They're supposed to to have dominion over the earth together. They're supposed to take care of the garden together. And that marriage is for procreation. They're supposed to go out and um, be fruitful and multiply. Now, all three of those things, um, those, those institutions for marriage, uh, homosexuality doesn't fit within that. It doesn't meet any of those criteria. Um, I, I guess it does provide companionship, excuse me, it does provide companionship, and it, you can co labor together, but especially the procreation part doesn't really fit that criteria. So I think if you wanted to look at Genesis 1, that alone is enough to, to rule out homosexuality, just because that's, if you look at it from the perspective of what we were created for what's the created purpose for our body and and who who we are as gendered beings. Homosexuality doesn't fit within what what Genesis 1 says. Um, If you, yeah, it doesn't fit within that. If you skip ahead to the New Testament, um, there's two passages um, where Jesus is is asked about the the issue of divorce. Um, And the Pharisees come to him and say, is it lawful for us to divorce our wives? And his response is to go back to Genesis 1 and to remind them of God created us male and female and instituted marriage and what god has brought together no one should should tear asunder no one should separate and there's a couple things that 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 from that that i want to highlight one i think that validates our ability to go back to genesis 1 and 2 and use that as an understanding of marriage Uh, someone could argue and look at that and say well it doesn't say anything about marriage it just says the two the man shall hold fast to his wife and they should become one flesh i don't see the word marriage in there and that's true but Jesus goes back and uses that as the grounds and support for his definition of what marriage ought to be. So because of that, we, we can and we, we should do the same. Jesus could have used those as an opportunity to open up the category of marriage and to, to, to say, you know, it's, it's a variety of things. Or, you know, he could have done that, but he doesn't. Um, he, he, in fact, kind of restricts it in some ways. And he uses it, assumes it as a, between a man and, and a woman. Um, it's, it's a man and his wife. And then um, looking at Ephesians 5, um, I think there's another grounds for for why homosexuality, or what the Bible says about homosexuality, or about sexuality, excuse me, um, is that marriage is a reflection of Christ and the church. Um, So in that passage, Ephesians 5, um, Paul is is laying out some instructions for for wives and husbands. And at the end, he grounds that entire instruction by, by quoting Genesis. The passage where it says the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's making a disconnection between Genesis and that definition of marriage and the relationship between Christ and the church. And what I thought was interesting is what he doesn't, he doesn't make a connection between the, t- the, between the two based on the fact that they're unified. Like it's not the union of marriage that he makes the connection between. It's that actual, that, that physical activity of becoming one flesh that he says that describes Christ in the church, This becoming one. Homosexuality doesn't fit within that. and It's not just the, the unifying of the flesh, but it's between a man and a woman that he makes that connection to. And so I, I, I could anticipate, you know, someone could say, well, you know, a homosexual marriage, like they're, they're unified, right? So that marriage can reflect Christ in the church. It can't. It's not, that's not what Paul was making a connection to. It wasn't just any union. It's the specific type of union um, that he's making that connection to. So that's sexuality. I think if you just want to say, what does the Bible say about sexuality? I didn't, the, none of these passages use the term homosexuality. None of them address that. But just based off of what the Bible says about sexuality, I think you could reasonably exclude homosexual activity and just homosexuality in general from what, what's acceptable. What should we be doing as Christians? But the Bible doesn't say nothing about homosexuality, it does. And there so I want to look a couple passages there. Um, in the Old Testament, there are two specific passages that address homosexuality. And they, they use we have a term that's used, that's translated, or that's, that's used as, as homosexuality. Um, the first is Leviticus 18.22, where it says, You shall not lie with the male as with the woman. It is an abomination. And that's in the middle of a section where um, it's laying out some different different codes for what's acceptable. What sexual activity is acceptable. What's not? And then Leviticus twenty thirteen, so just a couple chapters later, it says, "If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them." It's pretty strong language um, in both of these cases. Um, it's not just, "Hey, this is a sin. This is bad." It's, "This is an abomination." Especially if you look at both of those in in their context, um, he doesn't say that for any of the other sexual activity that he he says. This is is the only one where he says explicitly this is an abomination. Or Leviticus says explicitly this is an abomination. At the end, it will clump all of them together and say that they're abominations. But it explicitly um, highlights this one. And I don't say that because we need to to highlight it or or set it apart. But you can't escape that the Bible has pretty strong language for it. You can't escape that there's, there's no really room in there to be like, well, maybe, maybe it's acceptable in these certain contexts. No, it's an, it's an abomination every time. What about the New Testament? Does, you know, we've, we're in the New Covenant. Does, does that change? Does Jesus come in and change the story and say, well, now all of this is good and free? Well... Um, this is not where my mind jumped to originally, but the first passage in the New Testament that I think is helpful to look at in terms of homosexuality doesn't actually say homosexuality at all. It's Acts 15, um, which is the story where uh, Paul has been out preaching the gospel, and he comes back to Jerusalem because he wants to make sure that he hasn't been preaching in vain. Um, they've, they're, they're encountering the Judaizers. They want to make, sure, make Gentiles circumcise themselves to be a part of the faith. And he's coming back to to meet with the disciples of Peter, James, all of them to confirm, have I been preaching in vain? And we need to figure out how are we going to respond to this? Are we going to make the Gentiles be circumcised? Now, this is the result. Um, So this is Acts 15, 19, and 20. And this is James speaking. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God in regards to circumcision. It's my parentheses but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood and the reason i think this is important is because uh, their response is the gentiles do not need to be circumcised but they are encouraged to uphold some of the standards of the law including sexual immorality i think it's reasonable to make that because the what they were talking about was the mosaic law and so because that's the context I think it's reasonable to infer that when they say that they should abstain from sexual immorality, that's the exact same uh, definition that's expressed in Leviticus. So what, the, what Leviticus and what the law says about sexual immorality applies to us as Christians today. So you, you could just all you have to do is go back and look at what does the Old Testament say, and that's what we should, we should keep to. But it doesn't just stop there. Uh, Romans 1, which is a pretty pretty famous passage, talks about God giving them up to dishonorable passions, um, and women exchanging natural relations with those contrary in nature and, and men giving up natural relations and being consumed with passion for one another. Um, Paul uses that as an example of our depravity, how we've, we've uh, rejected the truth, and an example of that is we've gone on to unnatural relations. And then there's two passages in the, uh, the New Testament, I thought that was interesting, two passages in the Old Testament, two passages in the New Testament that specifically address or u- use a term that we would translate as homosexuality. The first of those is Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, which says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And the second passage is in 1 Timothy 1, 8-11. And Paul says, Now we know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So in both of these passages, um, homosexuality is, is included in a long list of, of sins. First um, Corinthians goes as far as saying that these, these sins, will, because of these sins, people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, First Timothy doesn't go that far, but that's, that's implied. As, it's implied as well that it's evil. I mean, the law is for those who are lawless and disobedient. And I think it's important two things. One, notice that's included in those lists, and it's also then therefore included in the lists of sins that God can redeem, that He can wash, that He can cleanse, and that He can change and rescue us from. It's not singled out as, "Hey, this is a separate category," and it's evil. If you're in that category, I'm sorry. It's this is within all of the other sins, and it's evil. Jesus died for that, and we haven't. Some of you were that way. Some of you were like that, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified. So to summarize, um, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, I think speak in no uncertain terms that homosexuality is a sin in the eyes of God. I don't think you can escape that. You can argue with it, and you can try to, to work your way around it and, and twist the passage a little bit. But if we just take the passage for what it says um, about homosexuality, it's wrong. We say what the passage says about, what the book says about sexuality. It doesn't fit within that. There's not really a lot of wiggle room. But, God can cleanse us from it. He can free us from it. And he can and and will justify us from it. I think one of the, (laughs) this is getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I think one of the the worst things that we can do about homosexuality is uh, obviously downplay it and act like it's not a sin. But it's also I think just as dangerous to elevate it and make it seem like it's its own category. It's not um, we need to see it rightly, which is to, to not make a big deal out of it. It's not to make a little deal out of it. It's just to include it in the category of sin like the Bible does. Um, before we get to the objections to this perspective, there's two topics I want to just quickly um, touch on. And the first is, what about the desire? Um, so I think in the definition I included desire, inclination, and activity in the sin. Most of these passages, they talk about the activity. The activity is what's called an abomination the activity is what is called like being led uh, that will lead to to not inheriting the kingdom of god so why do i say desire well i think the pattern that we see in scripture is that both the internal and external realities behind sinful behavior is wrong so i think of the sermon on the mount where jesus makes the connection between lust and adultery where he makes the connection between um, anger and murder and so i think what this this leads me to conclude that, that we are without christ rightly condemned just as much for our thoughts, desires, and inclinations as we are for our behavior. We aren't just condemned because of our behavior, we're condemned because of our our inward thoughts and actions. However, in Christ there isn't condemnation left for us. This doesn't mean that homosexual desire is no longer sin, but it means that these desires are no longer grounds for our judgment before the hands of God. So faithfulness as a Christian, so if you've claimed Christ, it's no longer measured by, are these desires absent? It's measured by um, our, is the absence of the behavior. Faithfulness as a Christian is resisting those desires and resisting the behavior, but it's not necessarily the absence of those desires. So I think this question can come up a lot, and, and you, may, you may find yourself talking with a brother or sister who struggles with it, and they may be grieved by it. They may come to you tearfully feeling like, is this desire actually a sin? it would be much more comfortable if it was just the action. It was just the behavior that was a sin and it wasn't the desire that would feel a lot more comfortable. They would potentially feel less guilty and condemned. Um, and then they may come to you wrestling with that question. And I think it's appealing to, to comfort them by either downplaying or entirely removing the sin of that desire. To say, actually, that's not a big deal. As long as you don't have the activity, you're fine. Um, I, I think that can't be our answer. I think it's an unfaithful Answer: uh, The Bible's response to our overwhelming guilt is not to remove it, but to cancel it. So I think the, our response to those, to those brothers and sisters shouldn't be to say, well, actually, your desire isn't that big of a deal. I think we, we call it sin, but you're in Christ, so you're not condemned by it. You don't need to feel guilty and ashamed of it. He's already canceled it. That desire is now no longer something that uh, controls you and enslaves you. It's something to resist and fight against. Um, it's not our job to remove those desires, and that's the Holy Spirit's job, and he, he, he can and may do that. Um, but I think it's, it's a false dichotomy to say, well, if the desire is sin, then every Christian needs to walk around, if they have this, with an overwhelming feeling of guilt. That's not the case. We don't. Yeah. So they don't need, so our brothers and sisters struggling with this don't need to be told that their guilt doesn't exist for that. What they need to be told is that it was cancelled and paid for by the one who loved them and gave himself up for them. Next uh, question, thing I want to talk about before the objection is: Can you can you call yourself a gay Christian? Um, before you go sure.
1: there, I just wanted to add, like, on. Um, so yes, the Bible talks in m- multiple places that like our desires can be sinful, hmm. but it also says in Romans one god gave them up to dishonorable passions Hmm. that's the same idea Hmm. so it's we have the general argument which is true Hmm. which you mentioned but in this case we also have a specific text that would say and here it specifically also says these are dishonorable passions Hmm. that you have there, it's talking about not just the action; it's in wrong one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not it's just the passion, the action, but also the desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry,
0: Keep going. And It's just—it it's just, is those passions. That, like they are they worked out, but you're right. He calls it dishonorable passions. They're not dishonorable just because the activity happened. They are on their own dishonorable. Yep. I have a, a question. Sure. Um. So, to
2: kind of along those lines, the in um, Romans it indicates that, and I cannot quote it, <laughs> but. Um, it, it indicates that homosexuality is a um, punishment. It's a um, consequence of mm. um, so it's so it's both a sin in terms of greed, mm. lying, uh, fornication, and all of that. But but it seems to take on a bigger role. Uh, because the, God is giving you over to these, uh, you know, people over to these passions. Mm-hmm. And I I believe that that's not necessarily on an individual, like you, you know, like if it was me, mm-hmm. me as a person, I've, I've been so disobedient that mm-hmm. now I've been given over to that. Yeah, It seems to be like a broader mm-hmm. thing, a broader judgment on society or on people. Hmm. um and then how we reconcile that uh, I don't know
3: does that make sense at all?
0: my, my observation or question yeah do you something you want to I, say? I again?
3: just heard a, a teaching by vodi Bakum on that subject and he said that, that part of the reason that we need to help people get past this is that it it's proven and I'm not sure exactly if I but it's either they end there or they lose 30 or 40 years of their lives by living in that lifestyle, hmm. you know what I mean? If you continue in homosexuality, you the, the fact is that you have uh, shortened your life intentionally according to the Book of Romans. Now I don't know hmm. if that's right or not, is it? Uh, right.
1: Yeah, um, there's a book by, um, there's an old book now, by a guy named Dr. Jeffrey um, who studied who studied this and has a lot of medical statistics on homosexuality. That would bear out the truth of of that. You do shorten your lifespan because of the, I guess,
3: the unnatural concurrent
1: uh, illnesses and consequences of the behavior itself mm-hmm. uh, brings with it its own shortening of your of your life. Yeah. So he's,
3: he, he said that helps us when we are dealing with people like that to to, to talk to them and really be grieved in our spirit because they're intent, just like if you were trying to help somebody quit smoking, you know, you'd be grieved that they continued because they were shortening their lives and making themselves unwell. Intentional.
1: Yeah. And I mean, to go back to what you said, Candy, I, I don't know that there's enough in the text to say like it's merely a group. Like it's just a group giving over or individual giving over. I think it's important to keep the keep the um, sort of the progression in mind when you look at Romans one because there was first a rejection of God as creator. There was first the person rejected God mm-hmm. and the sinful lusts. So it talks about like three times it says God gave them up in that passage, right? Yeah. But the lusts in their heart. Disa- those, those things were already resident there Yeah. it's not like God said oh well you, you're a sinner and now I'm going to give you additional mm-hmm. sin yeah. those things were there and God after they're rejecting him and shoving him, him away the, the judgment is and this is the scary part God says fine I'm going to let you have what you want mm-hmm. that's a scary thing say like okay that's what you want I'll let you have it. I'll give you over to that that's a that's a bad place yeah. to be
2: so and then how do we explain that in terms of so today you hear a lot of people um, say that uh, well I I've had these desires ever since I can remember
1: yeah
2: uh, as an excuse so of course we know I mean what,
1: I think you're probably going to get there that's in gonna a few be, minutes. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's one of the objections, so we'll, we'll get there and we'll talk about okay, that. Okay, Yeah, right. that helps. All right,
4: yeah, yeah sure. I'll um, Thank you. Yeah. So um, uh, walking back in terms of, uh, I'm, I'm kind of tracking with candy in terms of there's also a social or societal judgment aspect yes. there because yeah. of mm. the sheer economics of, of this, uh, not, not in terms of money and commerce, but in terms of incentive. So, when you, when you incentivize something, you're gonna get more of it. Mm-hmm. When you disincentivize something, you're gonna get less of it. And so, when we begin to, in the name of tolerance, begin to incentivize destructive behavior, mm-hmm. we're gonna get more of it. Absolutely. And then we're going, when, when we reap the natural consequences of that, we, we seek to try to find different excuses, different scapegoats, for that in order to be able to double down on, and again, it's following the track of Romans 1, but looking at it from the other side, of, not from God's perspective as Romans, mm. as Paul provides from Romans 1, but from the experiential factor of living in the world. When we see that happening, the I think of Jeremiah, was it 3 and 30, where we as the church are the watchman on the tower, and we need to call that out. That's, that's part of our, our role in society, mm-hmm. not, not for the sake of moralism, but for the sake of you know telling people that th- this is destruction, this yep. destruction is on the way and we need to, to uh, call it out less be on our hands.
1: Sure,
4: I think that's Ezekiel. Or Ezekiel, I'm sorry, thank you. Yes, Ezekiel 3. Thank
0: you. Yeah. And again, I think I, I would uh, I'll echo Michael, and I think that I could agree with that. I don't know if you can go full Romans one with that and support of that. Cause it doesn't mention the societal mm-hmm. thing, but um, we are seeing that. We are seeing that in our country right now, in particular.
1: I think the societal thing comes in as like uh, these things are like okay. So where's it doesn't? I don't. I was looking for the word judgment in Romans one, but it's. Verse eighteen: The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's where it goes downhill. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, but the judgment part is seen in the three times God says, "I'm going to give you over to these things." Mm-hmm. Like, there's wrath that comes because of these things, and because you rejected me, I'm going to give you over to these things. That's a that is. It's like you said, um, to be very careful that we don't base our theology on if the word is in the passage. Because mm. the theme can be in the passage even if the word isn't. we right. talked about that here before. Mm. So I think the theme is there even if the word is not. Mm. Yeah, that make sense? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And when, one other thing, before we, before we leave Romans 1, one other thing I, I think we can point out as well, from a societal perspective, is, is the very end. Yeah. So verse 32 where it says, they know that God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them.
1: Oh, man, don't we see that everywhere? I, saying, I think that's
0: yes. like a pretty dire warning for us as a church because um, there are lots of pastors out there who are encouraging us to give approval to them. There are lots of churches that are giving approval. Uh, we saw um, the Church of England, I think, is now oh, officially yes. approving and, and performing same-sex yes. marriages, blessing or approving. Uh, the Pope had some weird comments where it looks like he's he's encouraging the Catholic Church to not perform same-sex marriages, but bless them, whatever that means, which I would just say give approval to. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Andy Stanley is, but yes. famous megachurch pastor, and he they had the, the unconditional conference where he would claim that they weren't being affirming, but essentially they are being affirming, and he um, even though he affirmed the biblical doctrine of marriage, still said that we we need to let our same-sex attracted struggling brothers and sisters choose to have a same-sex marriage. All three of those, those categories they're in that they're in they're following Romans one. Um, they're, they're, it is a slippery cliff because it leads to death, and this is a life and death matter. Uh, I, I, the Bible is not about homosexuality. It's not even about sexuality, but it is a category in in the Bible. Um, And what it is about is obeying God. Um, And if it's true that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, we are doing a very dangerous thing to our own souls and to theirs if we give approval to it. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So we can't do that.
1: And I mean, I'll say this again. I say it all the time. I pound it into everyone's head, including my own. God's way is not just Right. It's good, it's good and beautiful and best. It's for our greatest flourishing, our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction is going to be found in following God. So it's not like God is some kind of cosmic killjoy who just says, do what I say. He he establishes these things because as our creator, he knows this is how we will
4: find joy ultimately in him. Um, so. And gives give us the warning. Sin is at our doorstep and we must... Uh, master it, lest it rule us. Yeah.
3: And do you think giving them, giving people over to their lusts, is equivalent to kind of allowing them to sear their consciences? Because we know the repetition of sin makes us hard-hearted toward it, and in the case of the homosexuals, that they get given over to it, and then. There's really, in a way, in their own hearts, heart is very difficult to reach them once they've been given over to this lifestyle. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you think that's what it means? That the conscience, he'll let you do that and that will make your conscience seared in that regard. Is that, do you think, a proper reading?
0: Go ahead. Okay, I, I wouldn't say that the giving it over by nature is the searing. No. It's allowing for that potential. I mean, you, you're right. Like If you sin over and over and over again, your your conscience gets seared. So, yeah, giving over those passions leads least that option. Right. Uh, I wouldn't say that the giving over is actually searing.
1: It's it's like, uh, if you do want to go that direction, I would say it's something like uh, two directions. Because they've already rejected God. Mm-hmm. It is true. They've already, you know...
3: But yeah, every time you do it, you're
1: harder to reach. Yeah. Well, it's and it's you know it's two directional in a, in a sense, right? I see what you're saying. Think thinking. of Pharaoh as your maybe as example. Okay. But um, yeah. I'm, yeah. We got
0: we got to keep going, so we can have some time for these objections. Yeah. Um, that we've already touching some. So thank you for the things that you've already contributed. Um, I think it is important to address. Can we call ourselves? Can someone call themselves a gay Christian? Very prevalent. Um, it's happening. It's happening all over. Uh, I think when someone says that, there's usually two things that they mean by that, one one or the other. One is, I'm a Christian who has same-sex attraction or exclusively same-sex attraction, but I'm not acting on it. So they kind of use it as like a categorical term. This is who I am. These are the desires that I have. I want you to know that. Or they're saying, I'm a Christian who has same-sex attraction and I'm engaged in same-sex activity. So I'm living, you use the term living that lifestyle, this is what, this is how I'm behaving, both a desire and behavior. I'm going to say that both of these are wrong and in both cases the answer needs to be that's not a term that we should use and that we should not be encouraging or um, definitely at least should not be encouraging others to use that. Now why? Because, so based off of our definition of homosexuality as a sin To use any sort of title that denotes this in name is to identify us with sin. And if if homosexuality includes the desires, the inclinations, and the behaviors, then there's no way to identify ourselves as Christians with homosexuality um, without identifying ourselves with sin. I think for me it was easy to say, well, yeah, if they're living a gay lifestyle, quote-unquote, they shouldn't call themselves a gay Christian. That's wrong. But what about the one who's you know, living a chaste life, has never engaged in an activity, but has those desires, and they want people to know? Shouldn't we be more sensitive to them? One of the books that I read was by an Anglican priest who has never participated in that activity, but he calls himself a gay Christian. And I loved the book. Like, I thought his theology was great, but he used that term the whole time. Um, and he would even say, oh, yeah, this, I'm, I'm not saying that as using it as an identity term. I'm just using it because that's the category that I find myself in. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, as I was wrestling with it, because I, I was sensitive to it when I was reading the book. And I was like, ah, is this really that big of a deal? Like, if I were to meet with him, is it worth mentioning? Is it worth saying, hey, you shouldn't use that term? Um, I think, as I, as I think through why someone would use that term for themselves, there's no way to escape that it always contains some form of identity. No. Even if it's just to say, well, I want you to know that I struggle with these things. Mm-hmm. Okay, but like, Michael says this all the time. We don't do that for any other sim. Right. Uh, we wouldn't say, well, I, you know, I struggle a lot with pride, so I want you to know I'm a prideful Christian.
1: Right.
0: Or, you know, I struggle a lot with lust, so I want you to know I'm a non-practicing adulterer. <laughs> like, we, don't, we don't do that.
1: I'm a, a lust, lust Christian.
0: I'm a, yeah, or lust Christian. I'm an angry Christian. Because really, I mean, I, the reason I say the, the non-practicing adulterer term is because that's really what they're saying when they're saying I'm gay. I'm right. a gay Christian. Right. I'm a, I am a,
1: yeah.
0: a, a person who has these desires, but I just I don't practice. Um and so I think we need to, yeah, I'm not trying to be a stickler for words. Like they are words, but they carry meaning. Um, and it, it matters what that means to, I just a second, um, matters what it means to them. It matters what it means to other people. It matters what it means to church. We can't just use those terms and act like the meaning doesn't matter. Um,
1: we should never identify by our sin. Mm-hmm. We should never
0: identify by our sin.
1: And for that matter, there should not be any adjective before Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm we shouldn't say i'm a black christian either or i'm a white christian yeah or any there should be no adjectives prior to christian mm-hmm. that's it it <laughs> just
0: shouldn't be that's it like we're we're new creations we're in christ hey, that's that's who we are hey. Now, does it mean that, that those things don't matter like does it mean that if someone's black their their cultural background doesn't matter and we should just ignore that no right. does it mean if someone has homosexual sh- uh, struggles that we should just ignore that no like hopefully we have people that are discipling them and getting to know them, and they're very aware of their struggles. You don't need the term gay or black to know that. Amen. Um, it just gives it to the whole public. It's Josh.
4: Uh, I was just uh, thinking about what you said earlier about the Bible warns us not to affirm homosexuality. Hmm. I think in some cases, wouldn't using the term gay Christian be a way of affirming that. Mm-hmm. I that? I think it could be. Not only just you know saying, I want you to know this is what I struggle with, or this is who I am but also for that person who's using that or for us to agree with them and use that would be for us to affirm that lifestyle or those that uh, those sins as okay or or you know acceptable
0: I think so Um, I think that's true only caution I would say is for for so for men like the one the the off that I read they wouldn't think that that's what they're doing um, and it would be difficult. Like you would be, it would be difficult to prove to them that's what it is. So especially, if you, so if you were to interact with them, I wouldn't go in and say, "Hey, this is exactly what you're you're doing. Like this is what you're, you're affirming." I think we, what we'll have to do is show them how it is affirming, whether it's their intention or not. It May not be what they're hoping to do, and it may not be malicious, but it, it is affirming in some way or another. Um, so the opportunity is to say, "Hey, like this is dangerous. It's not safe. Uh, we shouldn't want anything to do with that."
1: There's another side of that. So not only is it implicitly affir- inf- affirming, it's also implicitly diminishing the hope and the power of the gospel. Yes. true.
0: Because... Can we get to that one later? Okay, yes. You, sorry. Yes. Okay,
4: that's us So to, to the idea of words have meaning, and we understand that, but it, people, I think, have heard it so, so much. That we're deaf to it. We're not, we're not catching it. Sure, yeah, we're so numb. We're numb to ourselves a little bit. Catalog. You know, it's like a package that gets delivered. It isn't just an innocuous package with mm-hmm. round wrapping on it. There's, it's like a duct tape. Uh, <laughs> and no matter how you try to shake it off, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you know, oh, I'm going to stick at this and now it stuck If the the meaning sticks to the word, yeah, yeah. and you cannot uh, dilute it, you can't drain it, you mm-hmm. can't rid it of of its meaning of that payload no matter how much you try to deny it you're deceiving yourself in that denial Mm -hmm. i'm deceiving myself in
0: that denial yep Yep. i think one of the first questions we can ask if we come across a a christian who's using that term is just ask them why like why are you using that term i think if if we hearing and hearing the why hopefully they will hear and you will hear that there isn't really a good reason like it will always come down to some form of identification um, and that's affirming, and it's it's not helpful for them. Uh, I think that's
1: or, great advice too. If you ask, start with a question and ask why, why you're gonna find out, you're gonna tease out. Am I dealing with a mm-hmm. like a militant, you know, actively homosexual person who wants to claim the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. or am I dealing with someone who's more like the author who knows it's a sin and doesn't want to have anything to do with it? Yep. just needs like some. <coughs> tweaking or encouraging, you know what I mean? Like, right. it's gonna help you because there's out. a range, there's a massive range. Who is this, who, who am I dealing with? Yes.
0: Really good. Yeah. Okay, objections to this, and, and questions that we're gonna get as we engage with people who, who struggle with this then. Uh, I've got a, a, a list here. I wanna just open up space. If there's objections that you face that you're particularly concerned about or would want to talk about, are, are there any things that you've, questions you faced, arguments, that you would like to, to touch on.
1: Let's do candies. Which will you remind me? Oh. Um, yeah. Well, I've I've heard people
2: say to, to me, as people, not just generally, but people I've actually been in conversation with, that um, you know, well, I, I've struggled with this. Hmm. this. This is how I've always been. Hmm. Um, yeah. To to which you know, well, I have my response to that, and I won't go into that. Hmm. But. Um, was, wait, was that the one that I was bringing up before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, think that's, that's, that's the surprising.
0: one. Yeah, basically. So, yeah. yeah. There, there you go. Okay. So, the, the, I, was, I was born this way. This is the way I am. Right. And then that one, I think, can take a couple different flavors. Mm-hmm. It could be the, that's not fair. I was born this way. How could God make me this way and then not allow me to engage in sexual activity mm-hmm. in the way that mm-hmm. I want to? It could be the, well, I was born this way and God made me this way, so it must be good. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be the, Thought there was a third one and it just popped out of my head. But those are the couple of ones that, like, it could be a couple of different flavors of, like, what, why they're saying that.
4: A third, a third one would be bad things happened to me and it drove me to this. To this sure, it could so be. Therefore, I'm a victim be. rather than perpetrator.
0: Yep. Yeah. Okay, so I'll start with here's, I think, a, a maybe an unhelpful way to approach that question is to try to prove, prove to them. That they they weren't born that way or they don't have those desires innately. I think that's a waste of time. Because in some ways it doesn't really matter if they have a gay orientation or if that's the way they were born. They have the desires now. And the, the, the response, well, there's two things. One, it's the same with any other sin. Like from the cradle, we are born with pride. We are born with selfishness. Maybe not we wouldn't say like necessarily lust, but like we've like all of those things we have from a baby, from the time we were born. We we were born with it. We were born with a sinful nature. Homosexuality fits within that category. So I, I don't think it's worth arguing, well, you know, wasn't nature, wasn't nature.
2: Not really that helpful. Well, comment on that is sure. that if you begin to deny their experience, what they believe, whether it's it's real or imagined, mm-hmm. if you begin to deny their experience,
0: then they will turn you out. Yeah. Is it, is it can be a quick and easy way to end the conversation, yeah. which may happen regardless. And like, honestly, the fact, as soon as you bring up homosexuality as a sin, the conversation might be over right there. So we can't avoid that. But what we can is do is try to avoid setting up those obstacles. And I think regardless, the Bible doesn't um, take parse out every sin and say, well, where did this sin come from? And then now, now we'll address it. The response is, you have it, it's sin, repent and believe in Christ. And so... It doesn't matter if they were born that way. What, what God commands of them, what desires of them is, is the same. Uh, also, so specifically addressing that, well, God made me this way. We, again, we don't talk about that with any other sin. Right. We, we don't accuse God of giving us uh, a sinful nature. We don't accuse God of making us selfish. You could point them right back to Romans 1. God gave us up to those dishonorable passions. We were, we were, we, he didn't create them in us. He didn't produce them, and he didn't um, give them. To us in that way, so it's it's that doesn't work. Good.
2: Um, I, I don't want to derail you because I, sure. I know you got you got an endpoint. You're, you're well, this is the endpoint. Is 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 we're wrestling but with these questions. You may have said this before. Um, I, I was late. I apologize. That's that. great. Um, but the thing the thing that is different about this sin, in my viewpoint, is that oh, okay. If somebody's greedy. If somebody deals with lying or whatever. Uh huh. It, it's this sin. While it is in every way a sin, uh-huh. it is different because it goes to the identity of a person, a person's sexuality, our identity as men and women, and our interactions mm-hmm. go deeper, I think, than greed, lust, a number of the other sins. And so it seems to me that this is perhaps another reason why uh, people feel so compelled, besides the encouragement that we get in society mm. um, uh, people feel so compelled because they feel consumed by it. Yeah. Uh, and they feel so compelled to have to, you know, address that aspect of their identity. Does that
0: make any sense? It makes a ton of sense and I think you're absolutely right. And that kind of gets to the, well, it's not fair because mm-hmm. now I don't get to, to act on that. Right. And I think it, it can, it's challenging. Obviously, our genderedness and our sexuality is an important part of who we are. Like, I can't under- you can't understand me unless you know that I'm a, a male, I'm a man. That That's true. And yet, at the same time, uh, we have to caution ourselves from giving too much to that assumption because our culture has now said, well, whatever is inside of me and my desires and my sexuality is the most important part of me. And part of why they can say it's not fair is because in their eyes, uh, physical intimacy is the fulfillment of what it means to be human. It's the pinnacle. It's what you reach. Like You've made it. You are now fully human because you've experienced that. Um, and, and it's the highest form of love and so if you deny them that, you're denying them love, which is not true. It's not. Uh, it, and it's part of the like, sucking out the poison of this argument in them is to help show them that what it means to be human is not fundamentally to be a sexual being. Uh, because Jesus never had sex. He was a gendered being. Like he, had, he had a gender and he had like the physical parts, but he never engaged in an activity. Um, so it's not fundamental to be what it means to be human. He was the fullest human. He is the standard of what we strive for. And that was not something he engaged in. Um, one second. And also, I think going back, like um, sexual activity is points to Christ in the church. Uh, it points to that relationship. It points to that, that union that we have with Christ because we're unified with him. Once we get to heaven, that's that not going to exist anymore. We're, we're, we're not going to be given in marriage, Jesus said, because we will be with our bridegroom. Mm-hmm. The wedding feast will have happened we will be with him. And so it's, as we, we wrestle with the it's not fair, <laughs> it's the point them to... Um, Bible is not just denying you this activity. Um, it's also offering something better. And the reason you this is so hard for you is because this is what we, as a culture, have centered upon as the highest thing. And we have to shift that focus. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, if, it, if that is if that is the highest form of, of human fulfillment, if that is the highest form of love, then it is unfair. But that's a faulty premise.
1: That's so good. I think you're 100% right. I think that much of what you're saying, Candy, is driven not actually by the Bible, but more by the culture. Yes, I mm-hmm. agree. And the, the uniqueness of sexual sin, I mean, according to the Bible, is that all other sin, this is the only one that you're like you're sinning against your own body. Mm-hmm. The Bible says, right? So, but you're right. I love what you said and how you frame that. It's um, 100% right. I would just add too, like, to go back what you said earlier, which I thought was really good. Um, like we can empathize by saying something along the lines of hey um, we're all broken mm. like i'm broken too yeah. <laughs> like like um y- you know like you're the the whole like god made me this way uh, or i was born this way yeah is like saying my wiring is is off mm. like our the response is everybody's wiring is off mm-hmm. Everybody has a sinful nature. Mm. Yours looks like this same-sex desire. Mine looks like ABC sin. They're, like, we're on the same ground. Does it make sense?
0: It does. And actually, it's said the, the Anglican pastor, the book that I read, one of the things that he said helped him come to a conclusion of, this is sin and I'm not going to engage in it, was the realization that for every Christian – following Christ looks like some form of self-denial.
1: Yeah. Amen. For the right.
0: for the person who's struggling with the same such attraction, it's denial of, of that activity. But like, all of us are called to die to ourselves in one form or another. Um,
1: and I would just say too, like, it's also denial of the desire, not just yeah. the activity. Mm. So like, if, if I have mm. lust, which is a sinful desire, I shouldn't, it's not enough to just say like, well, I'm not going to act on it. Mm. I must also bring my mind and my will into alignment with God's mind and God's will. Mm-hmm. My desires ought to reflect his, not just my mm. behaviors. Does, does it make sense? Like, does it make sense? So all of it together, but the point that he's making is true, every Christian must do that, not only with their actions, their thoughts, their desires, desires. but every one of us has to do that mm-hmm. our whole life long as Christians. Mm-hmm.
3: I was thinking when you were talking that I could introduce myself as an angry Christian because anger is something that mm. I've dealt with having lived with an alcoholic, which is something that happens to people. Yeah. But I would never identify myself as that, but I have to watch it when I'm in traffic and such. You know, Because <laughs> cause you say, yup, you jerk, but you have to remember that you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing. You have to keep on working on
1: yourself, as Pastor Michael said. I'm going to
0: say one thing, and then I know yeah, got he, he, um, oh. you got
1: something to You go. I'm going to go
0: real quick, sorry. And I think that this also goes back to the of the discussion on being a gay Christian. Like, we're using that term. The reason why, I think, people want to use that term is because we've adopted this idea that our sexuality is a part of our identity and the most important thing. Okay. If you remove that premise, there is no other reason. Now, if we start saying... Uh, our anger is like our emotions are the most important part of who we are. Then it would start. People might start to use angry Christian, right. but you, you don't have that premise. So it doesn't make sense. So, so
4: the, the root of, of of this today, I'll try to be brief. Uh, with with the the notion of again denying God, mm-hmm. we replace we, we don't we no longer live in a vacuum. We replace God, so mm-hmm. we replace God in essence, in terms of origins, with natural selection, mm-hmm. um, and the idea of survival of the fittest is predicated on uh, being more successful in Mm. sexual, you know, uh, procreation and so Mm. forth. Uh, Now, homosexuality obviously is a deviation of that, nevertheless, because of the emphasis on sexuality, sexual expression within the natural selection, then that is how it finds its its entrenchment. So if we get into the etymology of sin, we always come back to Eve looking at, at the fruit and and the, the mm-hmm. serpent saying, "Did God really say?" And so we're, we question God, and then after we're done questioning God, we dismiss God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Once we once we believe, "Oh, I, I did not surely die," therefore this must be okay. You know, yeah. somebody misunderstood, and it, it, it takes us back to the original line.
0: I think, uh, I can't remember where it is, but I think Paul says like uh, you're presuming upon the mercy of God, not realizing that his mercy is meant to lead to repentance, they think, you think of too. like, you know, why did he not strike Adam and Eve down right away? Like it's mercy, and it's meant to yeah. lead towards repentance. I'm
1: uh, Sorry. That's okay. How many more do you
0: have? <laughs> we got quite a few. Yeah, so, we might have to do two weeks. You may have to.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to rush it. It's interesting what you said, Dan, because that's like a non-biblical slash biblical argument as well. So like for those who believe in evolution, homosexuality is also wrong.
4: There is no evolutionary advantage whatsoever yeah, to, like, is not because you, you eliminate the ability to procreate. That's true, <laughs> but they see that they, but they see the advantage of it is eliminating that from the gene pool, therefore it's of no consequence. It's it's it just is. They don't see it as any evil or moral that's harsh. Or moral abomination. Like what you're talking about homosexual people think that? No, 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 I'm talking about the evolutionary oh. mindset. says, oh, well, that, that just gets drained out of the gene pool. But but that's the point, though.
1: That right. makes it bad. You know what I mean? Like, what we don't need, what isn't good, is eliminated. That's the whole point of natural selection. So even on that view, just a strictly evolutionary view, it's still not good. They don't, they don't see it in moral terms, though. Sure. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's also a biblical argument because... Even Paul will say they give up natural relations for what is contrary to nature. So right. he is also pointing to like what should be according to nature. Mm-hmm. And am right. sorry, carry it's, on the next argument. There's consistency, but it's corruption. Yeah,
0: Avi did, corruption. No. Did, Avi, did you have a question? Avi, did you have a question? Yeah.
1: The yeah. fall is a result of our mess-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then we were given up to this honorable passion. That's right.
1: Yeah.
0: You think we're going to do two weeks? I
1: don't know. How many do you have left? Uh, four. Okay. Four. Four-ish. We've got... You could stretch it for 15 minutes, maybe. Okay. If we're all
0: quiet. Uh, I'll, I'll try to, to <laughs> go through these ones a little bit. I mean, a lot of these overlap because they're really connected. Um, one more thing I want to say on the It's Not Fair... It's just remind us of like, what is the Bible's definition of love. So even if you don't want to go as far, like okay, so we can't say that love is the highest pinnacle of what it means to be human. But let's just say for, for our sake of argument, we were, we were to concede that point. Regardless, what the Bible says about love is not that it's the highest form of love, it's physical intimacy, it's God's love for us. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he sent his son to be the perpetuation for the world. So even if they want to say, well, to be human is to experience love, and so we need to experience love. Great. <laughs> God's love is what, is what you need. It doesn't replace the physical intimacy. Sure, it doesn't. The, the argument is not that, well, if you just have God, then it's the same as physical intimacy and you're good to go. It's not. It doesn't replace it, um, but rather that love is better and it's sufficient. Our, our, our call to them and our encouragement is it's, it's enough. It will be enough. It will sustain you. That is the love that you need. Um, I already uh, circled on this a couple of times, but there's nothing that God denies us and calls us to, to uh, abstain from that he does not offer a better alternative for. Mm-hmm. I think of the passage, I think it's in Mark, where Jesus says, you know, there's not one who will leave a house and, and wife and father and mother who will not receive a hundredfold um, Don't have memorized, so I don't remember. But uh, the I think the principle there is like (laughs) he's not calling us just to give up everything and then get nothing. Like we give up everything, and we will reap more, maybe in this life to some degree, but definitely in the next. And so that's our call: is that 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 we we aren't just telling you to abstain, we're telling you to obtain something different. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay, this one I think is is connected and good. The argument that it's not sustainable. Um, and this one I bring up in particular because that was the argument that Andy Stanley used during his sermon and, and what he was arguing for the acceptability of same-sex marriage. So this is what he, he said. Uh, I'm gonna read the whole quote just because I think it's it's worth hearing this. So he's talking about um, a group of, of uh, men who struggle with same-sex attraction that he was praying with. And this is what he said. They prayed that God would change them so they could experience family in marriage. And God didn't answer their prayer. And so many are convinced that traditional marriage is not an option for them. So they commit to living a chaste life, an old-fashioned word. And for many men and women who put their faith in Christ, they just decide, okay, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to bear down. I'm going to be going in by myself. I'm not going to have a family. I'm just going to be sexually pure. And many do that for long seasons of time. And for some, it's their whole life. But for many, that is not sustainable. And so they choose a same-sex marriage not because they are convinced that it's biblical. They read the same Bible we do. They choose to get married for the same reasons many of us did. Love, companionship, and family. And in the end, as was the case for all of us, And this is the important thing I want you to hear me say. It is their decision. Our decision is to decide how we respond to their decision. Our decision as a group of local churches is how we are going to respond to their decision. (laughs) Yeah, someone should have walked up and just slapped them. They didn't, though. Um, It's sad. It is. It's It's infuriating. It is a little bit infuriating. So I, I thought this was very good, and also made me more angry. So do any of you know who Sam Alberry is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he wrote a response to this, and this is what he said. Um, I'm into the middle of a quote, so it's a little bit of a choppy beginning, but he says, but to accept that a biblically prohibited relationship is permissible or the least bad way forward, which is kind of what Andrew Stanley says, because he says, well, they read the same Bible you do, and they don't think it's biblical, but they do it anyways. Continuing Alberry. Um, is to contradict the biblical sexual ethic Stanley affirmed in his very sermon. I have always been single. On the whole, it has been deeply joyous. But I am not immune to temptation. And when any leader suggests to me that chaste obedience to Christ in singleness is not sustainable, he is saying the very same thing to me that the devil says.
1: Amen.
0: Yeah, that's right. Amen. Which is true. Amen. And also, I almost teared up a little bit. It's like sad. Because we have pastors who are encouraging and giving approval to these things. And yes, this is a hard topic. Yes, many, many people who are Christians struggling with same-sex attraction or people with same-sex attraction who want to become Christians, they do so tearfully. It's painful. There are long nights of loneliness. This is not a simple thing. However, the response to that never can be to say, well, actually, that's not a big deal. Like the pain that they're experiencing now of of wrestling with that desire and having the, their desires go unfulfilled, is nothing compared to what they will experience in judgment.
3: Um,
0: and to and also just like who who wants to be a mouthpiece for Satan? Like to be to, to affirm to affirm this to say it's not a big deal um, to to say that it's not sustainable. That's the exact same thing that Satan would have us believe. It's
2: saying God is not Christ is not. Fit.
0: Right, Christ is not enough. Because Stanley doesn't say this, but he doesn't realize what he's saying is God hasn't given us enough. Um, I've been thinking about this because Michael mentioned it in men's ministry, but 1st um, or 2nd Corinthians 9, 8, 2nd, uh, okay, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency at all things at all times may abound in every good work. Basically, Stanley's saying that that verse doesn't exist or it's not true.
1: And... And he doesn't know that, but he is. Is this where you're going to talk about how it diminishes the work of Christ as well?
0: Yes, but if you wanted to riff off it, go ahead. No, no, you, you yeah. I mean,
1: I'll let you I'll let you I'll let you go okay. off that. But sure. I'll go back to what I This is like you can expose the the um, fallacy of these so many of these arguments by just putting it through this filter. Would we say this about any other sin? Right. Mm. Like, purity in my marriage is just not sustainable. So, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to go ahead and have I'm going to have an affair. Because you know, like remaining faithful to Sarah is just not sustainable. And that well, is an, an argument people make. For another but, it is. But we see immediately like, no. That's stupid. Most like reasonable Christians would be like, uh, no. Hmm. Like immediately like, no. Like <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. And well, and so then you have to start asking like, well, why? why would you say this like why would you I can't think of any other reason than to want to scratch where people itch to please the their his audience do you Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like I can't think of it because he's not looking to please God here Mm -hmm. um but man that like hey you're the mouth of the devil that's like
0: well and I would just maybe say I think these people do think they're pleasing God but the reason they do that because they have accepted the world's definition of love. God is love. We should be loving all people. So if I'm supposed to be loving all people and God is love, I need to be affirming of them. So they they don't yeah, so
4: they're convinced that they're right. Something that's today is with with pedophilia and minor attracted persons and so forth. The idea of, you know, I'm hot under the collar right now because for Stanley to say, well, that's their decision. (laughs) Our decision is how excuse me, no. Mm -hmm. full stop right there how dare you not only consign them and whoever is the other person in that relationship to who knows what kind of cosmic judgment not to mention misery that that may await them down the road How, how can you as one who has been entrusted with the authority to be able to bring forth the truth compromise and so dilute that that is abominable.
0: Yeah, it is. Amen. Jesus said that it would be better for you if a millstone were oh, hung around yeah, yeah. your neck and you were thrown into the sea.
2: Okay, okay. so yeah. yesterday, um, sure. Pastor Rob had a, a, a seminar on sexuality. Mm-hmm. And he was saying how he um, talked to three youth youth these ministry days who were struggling with same-sex attraction and yeah. everyone was affirming them on that and, beco- and saying, this is how you are, this is who you are, and that they all had suicidal thoughts because... This is not what they wanted to be. They were that was mm-hmm. a struggle, and so people yeah. were not giving them. Up. I think these people thought they were helping them and right. affirming them, that but they didn't want that. They wanted help and yeah. encouragement out of it. And so he things, you know, you're not helping people by affirming that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> now that's been twisted too, because broadly speaking, our culture is saying if you don't affirm someone, they're going to have. Amen. So now it's been flipped, right? right? Right. So that argument, which is true. Has been sort of plastered over or covered over um, at, by our current cultural situation. Yeah.
0: And I, I think both of those things can be true, which I think emphasizes the need to come to each person as they are, ask questions. Kind of, I mean, what, what Stephen was talking about last week, so that you would know how to answer each person. Like, we need to understand are they the person who really wants to? wants to fight against this and wants to strive for holiness then we need to have us we need to respond in that way if they're not then we have a different response we can't just assume that yeah. well you, you have this desire so I, I know how I need to respond to you like yeah I've but you yes.
3: know all every Christian who is called to follow the Lord has a hard thing in the, at least
1: one at least one hard
3: thing in their lives sure they wouldn't have picked I can tell you about mine if you'd like to know, but you you still t- t- cling to the Lord right. and He's the only one that can get you through it. Mm. I think we're making a, uh, we're kind of canonizing these same-sex people and they've got a struggle and everyone has a struggle. Yep. Everyone has a hard struggle and you could give up and commit suicide or mm. you could go have adultery or whatever. Right, but that's not the issue the issue is to follow christ is difficult Hmm. so embrace the cross i mean but i'm kind of a black and white person as you can tell but you just you do it that's what you do you do what's hard period
0: you do and i think what another topic we've been dancing around but i think that that really illustrates that well rita is um the commands and what the bible says about homosexuality is not an isolation it's continued, it's it's grouped in with all of the other sins, Amen. and it's within the broader story of the Bible of sin and redemption in Christ. Amen. And so we are not doing anyone any favors if we either ourselves initiate or agree with this framework of well, we need to address homosexuality on its own. And just like let's just talk about that. like no, I think what we can what's better is to try to bring that into the whole story. Amen. How does it fit? Amen. How does it fit within what what all of God is doing is it is, it's a part of the same story Amen. of everyone else's sin. Amen. Look um, at
3: well, like Johnny, John, Johnny Erickson Tata mm-hmm. and all that she's gone through um, and is suffering still. Mm-hmm. She could have quit. She could have said, mm-hmm. this wasn't in my plan. Well, it wasn't, but it was in God's plan. It was. And therefore, you embrace God's plan. Mm. Amen.
0: Oh, we got nine minutes before the service starts. Um, you're service leading and I'm service leading this morning, so I I should go. But so we we may come back to this next week. I'll talk with Michael. There's a few other things. Uh, the in particular the either
1: way because we're going to review anyway. So sure. Maybe okay. you can Start with the material that you haven't covered. Sure. Because then we can really we can also hone in on the hope of the gospel too. Yeah, because mm-hmm.
0: I would love to to, to
1: put the explanation put point point. Put the exclamation point, and, <laughs> and then
0: also, and I think right now uh, I said the Bible's pretty clear. But there's lots of people coming in and trying to provide different Correct. interpretations. and I think that would be valuable for you to know because when you first hear them, they sound compelling. And then Absolutely. somebody else comes along, like, actually, that's, that's not good. <laughs> so right. I, just, I think it'd be good to touch on those. Um, would somebody like to pray? Or would somebody pray to close this out? Sure.
3: Thank Father, you. we are so grateful uh, to be in a church which is timely, up-to-date, and giving us the tools that we need in order to answer the questions that are on people's minds Lord but we also thank you Lord that from the beginning you said anyone who wants to follow me will take up his cross every day and follow me Mm -hmm. and Lord that's the answer for homosexuality and every other difficulty we reach and we find in this life and thank you Lord that you're enough for all of us you give us all that we need for life and godliness. We mm-hmm. praise you, Lord, and we thank you for uh, the presentation this morning, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Yes, Amen. Amen.
2: Amen.
3: You did a good job. Okay. Thank you. Thank
1: you yeah, Thanks, thank you. you. You just hit stop. Uh, yeah, i got to get it off of hold first.